Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you today. Happy New Year tomorrow. Well, I noticed something when I walked out the door today, and you probably noticed it as well. It's cold outside. It's really cold outside. It was minus 13 windchill when I, when I walked out the door this morning, and, uh, and that's cold. Now, I grew up in Minnesota, and I'm still saying that's cold. Uh, I actually grew up in the coldest winter on record in Minnesota. One year, there was a town just north of the Twin Cities that recorded minus 60 degrees. That's not windchill. That's just degrees. That was cold. You could walk outside, and I did this as I walked out on the front porch, and I spit, and it, sure enough, it turned into snow before it hit the ground. That was cold. <laughs> so even though uh, uh, that I, I grew up in that, I've been away for 10 years, and now my body's adjusted a little bit, and minus 13 this morning felt a little bit like minus 60. It's cold today. We notice a lot of things uh, about each other and about life. We notice things all the time. Uh, it's easy to notice things that happen uh, on the outside, right? So if you get a new car or a different car, someone that pays attention to what car you drive is going to notice that, right? If you get a new haircut, uh, you're going to go get that done, and, or new hairdo, you're going to come home, and you're going to walk in, and your family's going to notice that you got a new haircut. A few weeks ago, I needed a haircut really, really badly. Some of you might have even noticed that. <laughs> it was really bushy, and I finally got a haircut, and some of you might be thinking, yeah, yeah Jim got a haircut. All right, good, finally, because it really needed to happen. <laughs> it was bad. You get a haircut, people notice. College students, are there any college students here? Anybody? Yeah, we got a few. All right. So when you uh, go away to college for a semester, assuming you go somewhere not just in town where you can come home quite often, but if you're away at college, when you come home, the rest of us are so glad to have you back. But we notice some things. We notice you look a little bit older. And if you've been doing your homework, we notice you look maybe a little bit wiser. Hopefully you've been doing your studies. But we notice those things on the outside. It's a lot harder, though, to notice things, uh, the changes in, in people of the things that happen on the inside. And that's, that brings us to the question we want to wrestle with today. And that is this. Do people notice the things that God is doing inside of you? Do they notice those things? Do, does what God is doing inside of you or what God wants to do inside of you spill out into the lives of others in your sphere of influence, nudging them closer to the kingdom of God. So is what God is doing in your life, has done or is doing in your life, does that spill out into the lives of those around you? It's easy to want to hold things in. You know, our tendency, I think, is to, to not let others know what things we've been dealing with. Because we don't want others to think about us in a weird way or think that we're uh, just totally different. And, and even maybe untouchable, that what God is doing in us, no one else has ever experienced. And so we can't let anyone else know that we are broken inside. And so we hide it, we hold it in. Or maybe there's a, there's a facade of, that, that we have to hold up of everything is perfect, everything's great, life is awesome. And even though God's doing stuff on the inside of us, but we don't let that out because we can't let that facade be broken. Or maybe uh, we're just simply afraid of what others will think about us. Whatever the reason is, there's, there's probably more than that that you can think of and identify with. But it's so easy sometimes to hold in what God is doing inside of us, to hold inside those things that need that work. But God works on us to bring salvation, redemption, and restoration in order to give us a story, 
to give us a testimony that we can share with those around us. A testimony of his goodness and his faithfulness. And when we share that testimony, those around us are inspired. They hear that, they're encouraged, and they're nudged closer to the kingdom of God. Well, today we're going to look at Luke chapter 1. Uh, the story of Zechariah. And we just got uh, done through the season of, of celebrating Christmas, the birth of Jesus. And so this passage is like a prequel to that. It sets the, the tone, it sets the stage, because it's about the birth of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who is sent by God to prepare the way for the Lord. So if you turn with me in Luke, uh, to Luke chapter 1, and we'll, uh, we'll start in verse 5. Uh, And here's what it says. It says, In the time of Herod, king of of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So Zechariah and Elizabeth are both descendants of Aaron, Moses' brother, and those descendants, everyone in their tribe of Israel, there are 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of, of, uh, this is the Levitical tribe, the descendants of Aaron, they are set aside as the priests of the nation of Israel. And that's the line that Zechariah and Elizabeth come from. And so because of that, Zechariah, we know, would have had an insane amount of education. He would have known the Old Testament, especially the Torah, inside and out, upside and down, uh, frontwards and backwards. He would have had the whole thing memorized. The prophecies about the Messiah, he would have been keenly aware of. He would have known exactly what Scripture said about the coming Messiah. And he and Elizabeth devoted themselves. He says, uh, it says they... they, uh, were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They devoted their lives, they devoted their marriage to serving and honoring God and living in a way that glorified Him. In a sense, they were doing everything the right way by the book. But, verse 7 says, they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both well-advanced in years. And that's where this story gets good. Because what God does in Zechariah's life through this situation spills out into the lives of countless people around them, nudging them closer to the kingdom of God. And so that's what we're going to learn, learn today from the story of Zechariah. So as we continue, it says that once when Zechariah, in verse 8, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple and burn incense. Now, he gets to go into the temple, and this is a privilege. So you might, they're casting lots. I don't know if they were drawn straws or what, but if they were drawn straws, you could say he was, drew the short end of the stick. Uh, or the short stick, because if you went into the, the, the temple and you were not clean and you were not cleansed and you had not gone through all of the appropriate rituals to do that, you could die. That would not be good. That would be the short end of the stick. However, on the other side of that, maybe he drew the long stick, if they had a long stick for the person that went in, because it was a privilege. You got to go into the temple, and only by one person, and only uh, when you were chosen. And his division had to be on duty, and then he got to be the one that was chosen. He'd probably gone through this countless times, and maybe he'd been chosen before. We don't know. Maybe not. Maybe this was his first opportunity to go in and do this. 
Whatever the case, he had the privilege and the honor to go in and burn incense. So verse 10, it says, And the time came for the burning of incense came, and all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So we've got this sense of there's, there's this gathering of people. Kind of like right now, we've got this gathering of people here at First Covenant Church, right? There's this gathering of people to worship and pray. And Zechariah goes in to burn incense. And the incense rep- burning represented the prayers of the people going up to God as a sweet, fragrant aroma that was holy and pleasing to God. So he goes in, he's doing his thing, and verse 11 says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Yeah, I'd be scared too. Now, Zechariah knows that it has been hundreds of years, in fact, about 400 years since anyone's heard anything from God. Malachi was the last prophet, the last book of the Old Testament. He was the last prophet to hear from God. And it had been about 400 years and there had been nothing. Zechariah goes in not expecting anything because there had been nothing for 400 years. And all of a sudden there's this angel and he's scared out of his mind. I can imagine he's probably wondering if he's having like a psychotic breakdown or, you know, something like that because he's seeing this angel. And the angel speaks, which whoa that's insane he's not just having a vision he's actually talking with this angel verse 13 says but the angel said to him do not be afraid Zechariah." which angels usually say when they show up don't be afraid your prayer has been heard your wife elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him john okay now the angel's telling me that i even though i am well along in years am, am going to have and my wife is, is well along in years. Luke was smart. The author, he didn't call her old. He called her well along in years. Uh, so this, this guy's good. He's got, he knows what he's talking about. Um, that, that Zachariah saying, how is this going to happen? How in the world is this going to happen? Now, Zachariah, remember, he would have known the Torah especially. He would have known the story of Abraham and Sarah having a baby when they were well along in years. But yet he questions. And here's where, where we get to it. It says, uh, uh, 14, uh, the angel continues, in verse 14, he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Whoa, that's cool. And that comes into play in just a little bit. Verse 16, many of the people of Israel will, will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn their hearts the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people for the Lord. And here's where Zechariah's issue in his heart comes in, what God needs to do inside of him. Zechariah has a crisis of faith. He knows all of these things and what should be happening. And he knows that God blessed Abraham and Sarah with, with children. And, and he knows that God could do this, but yet he still says, verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this, that this is going to happen? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Zechariah doubts, has a crisis of faith right here. And this is what God works on throughout the rest of the story. And that's what we're going to see, is how God speaks and affirms and confirms for Zechariah that God is faithful, that God is good, and that God loves Zechariah, and that God has good, great things for him. And so the rest of this story is incredible as we see God kind of poke at Zechariah's crisis of faith and, and, and help him be 
move on a journey into fully understanding and believing uh, that God's, what God said he would do, God would do. It says, uh, th- so the angel then, in verse 19, said to him, I am Gabriel. Now, if you know the, the Jesus the story, the Gabriel is the same angel that visits Mary in just a few verses. So we've got Gabriel busy at work. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. So he has the authority of God. And I have been sent to speak to you, to tell you the good news. And now, verse 20, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. So Zechariah has a crisis of faith and the angel silences him. There's a consequence in Zechariah's life for his lack of faith, lack of understanding. But it gives Zechariah months of not being able to say anything and possibly not being able to hear anything. We're not sure exactly, but for sure he can't say anything. So he's got some time to think and to contemplate and to watch and to, to pay attention to all that God is going to do over the next few months to see if what the angel said would actually come true. Think about like a timeout, right? You go, and when I was a kid and my mom would put me in timeout and I'd have no TV, I'd have no Walkman because that was a thing back then, no Game Boy, you know, all those old 80s toys. I would not have any of those. I had to just sit in my room, sit in a corner and just be quiet and think about it. My mom would say, think about what you've done, right? And, and, and then I would have to go apologize to her or my dad or whoever I did something wrong to. And that's kind of what I think about uh, here is, is there's, a, there's a consequence for Zachariah in his life. Verse 20, uh, 22, he says, when he came out, he could not speak to the people gathered, to the worshipers gathered. So right away, what God is doing in his heart all immediately impacts the worshipers gathered and people are starting to wonder what in the world is going on. No one has gone into the temple and had an experience like he obviously just had. It says, and they, they thought he had a vision and uh, in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. So people are beginning to notice something's going on. They don't know exactly what, but something is happening. Something unique, something new, something different is happening. And, and this hasn't happened in a long time, not in their lifetime, for sure. So God continues to work on Zechariah. It says, when he, uh, verse 23, when his time of service was completed, he returned home, like you would expect. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. So Zechariah is in the, in the temple, sees this angel. The angel Gabriel says, you're going to have a kid. He says, how are we going to do that? He goes home and his wife becomes pregnant. Oh my goodness, Zechariah can't talk, can't say anything. He's thinking he's observing his wife becomes pregnant. That's an amazing thing. Zechariah's heart and mind are changing and shifting. Then uh, in verse 25, it says, the Lord, uh, or after, after his wife became pregnant, uh, in verse, verse 25, the Lord has done this for me, Elizabeth said. In these days he has shown favor and taken away my disgrace among his people. Now, if this were a movie, it'd be like, Meanwhile, over here in, in Nazareth, uh, and it jumps over to the story of, of Mary. And Gabriel, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's uh, pregnancy, jumps over and he's, he talks to Mary and he talks to Joseph. And he brings uh, the seed of Jesus to Mary and Mary becomes pregnant. 
And then uh, we pick up the story with Elizabeth then in verse 39. Now, here's what we need to understand. They didn't have cell phones and Snapchats and Twitters and text messaging and all of those things back then. And so Mary and Elizabeth were not like taking profile selfies and posting them on Facebook and like, oh, three months, oh, six months, like, and and Snapchatting each other. That was not happening (laughs) in that time. What happened was Mary shows up on Elizabeth's door, at Elizabeth's doorstep, knocks on the door. Okay, now remember, Zachariah is watching all of this. He can't talk. He maybe can't hear things. And, and all of a sudden, Elizabeth's cousin Mary shows up. And she's pregnant too. What is going on in my family? What is God doing? What is, what is this amazing thing? Mary comes in and tells them the story that she's been visited by the angel Gabriel, the same angel that visited Zachariah. Zachariah's got to be thinking, uh-uh, this is way too too big this is this is insane this can't be happening and mary tells them the story that she's she's a virgin but she's been uh but she's pregnant with the with the messiah the angel in in the scripture reading we heard uh just a few minutes ago at the end of this zachariah talks about how his son john would be the 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 one to prepare the way for the lord the messiah and here mary comes at their doorstep saying now she's pregnant with the messiah and not only that, the angel had told uh, Zechariah that, that their, their baby son would be filled with the Holy Spirit before he was born. And as soon as Mary walks in and, and Elizabeth uh, recognizes Mary, John jumps in, in her womb because he knows that Jesus, the Messiah, is in Mary's womb. Again, that's got to be an incredible moment in Zechariah. Uh, Zachariah's mind and heart as, as God continues to confirm that he is good and faithful. And people notice. People continue to notice. In verse 57, it becomes time for John to be born. It says that when it was time for Elizabeth to have the baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. So this great thing that God is doing in and through Zechariah and Elizabeth's life is impacting the neighbors around them. If, if Elizabeth and, and Zechariah were, were young and, and this was happening, no one would really pay attention because, of course, they could get pregnant. But they're well along in years, as Luke says. That's a big deal. And, and, and Elizabeth is pregnant. And so people, because of that, people are taking notice of what's going on, and they're sharing in her joy. Her friends, her neighbors, her family, people are starting to pay attention to what God might be doing. 59, verse 59, on the eighth day, they came, they is the community. This was a community event, a community celebration. They came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. So the community comes to celebrate the birth of this, this baby boy on the eighth day to circumcise him into the covenant. And as, as this family gathering and, and, and celebration, they're also going to name him. And you would name your child something connected to your family so that they would always be connected to the family tree. But remember, the angel told uh, Zachariah to name their baby John. And, and the community is confused by this. It says... Uh, uh, Verse 60, but his mother spoke up and said, no. So this is Elizabeth speaking. She says, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Why would you name him John? 
So they are going to confirm this. And so they start communicating with Zechariah. They made signs to his father. And that's why we think maybe he couldn't hear because they're signing to him, not just speaking to him. They made signs to his father, to Zechariah, to find out what he would like to name the child. Like, is your wife crazy or is this really what you're going to name your child? And then are you crazy because you're going to name your child something besides Zechariah's son or whatever it would be? He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's establishment, he wrote his name is John. And in that exact moment, he was then able to speak. So Zechariah gets to watch these incredible moments of God confirming his goodness and faithfulness to him and his family. The, The baby is born, and remember, they didn't have ultrasounds back then. The baby is born, and indeed it's a boy. And I can imagine him being absolutely blown away by that and then being like, there's nothing left to do but to follow through with the command from the angel and name him John. And here's here's what happens. People are noticing. They're wondering. They're questioning. And there's conversation. I mean, think about it in your family. When when, when a baby is born and, and the parents don't maybe do it quite right or they do something a little different than what your family would normally do. Everyone talks about it. Everyone murmurs about it. Did you hear that they did this or that or the other thing? That's what's happening in the entire community around them. It says uh, in verse 65, the neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. The entire community was asking, what then is this child going to be? If you're not going to name him something connected to your family, then what, what, what is this? What is this going to be? The entire region, it says, of Judea was talking about this. Judea is the area, it's like a kind of a region, a county, a state, that includes Jerusalem, where the temple is, but it also includes Bethlehem, where Jesus would be born. In the entire region. So what God did in Zechariah's heart between his crisis of faith and, and, and seeing people all around, seeing what's going on, hearing what's going on, are talking and wondering and contemplating and imagining and dreaming about what is this going to be? What's happening? And then this, this birth of, of Jesus happens. And, and there's just, you can imagine and picture kind of the electricity in the community of this thing that God is doing. God has been silent for 400 years. And now because of Zechariah's crisis of faith, an entire region of people are wondering and contemplating what God is up to. They're being nudged towards the kingdom of God. And so John would go on to become, uh, preaching and teaching, preparing the way for Jesus. But even before his birth, he is preparing the way for Jesus pointing people, nudging people towards the kingdom of God. What about you? Does the story that, of what God is up to in your life nudge people towards the kingdom? I'm going to invite Richard to come up. Richard is one of our youth group leaders, and he also has the opportunity to work in the prison in Ellsworth. And uh, God has done an incredible work in Richard's life. And because of that, Richard has the opportunity to share uh, with guys in the prison. Uh, and so he's got a couple stories he wants to share that, uh, that just kind of highlight and illustrate what impact he's been able to have. So thanks, Richard, for sharing. Okay, most inmates catch their case under the influence of drugs and alcohol. 
my viewpoint of them was not very good before I went to work at prison. I learned that they are no different than us when you take away the alcohol and drugs from them. At the weld shop, I get them all certified in welding, and I teach them how to function in a work setting. They did not have proper leadership before I took this job, and we stopped cutting corners and started following rules. I told them that they all would get praise every day they do well and get disciplined when they needed to be. I talked about God every day and how important it is to follow the Bible, and if you follow the Bible, you would never have to redo anything. All they needed was to have someone care about them and respect them when they earn the respect. I am teaching them how to earn that respect and how to work to earn the trust society wants from them to function in the real world. I have one guy that was very quiet, and he got wrote up one day for sticking up for another inmate. And if the write-up would have stuck, uh, he would have lost his job. And my policy is once you lose that job, you never get it back. And uh, so I went and talked to the right people, and he had got a diversion. And out of that diversion, he made a 100-degree turnaround because I helped him. And he's a role model inmate now, and uh, he not only helps us with new guys, but he also helps the whole prison. If some a parent has trouble with a kid or high school groups that come and tour, he goes and talks to them and tells them what prison life is all about and how bad it really is and helps detour them away from prison. And uh, our job is to, um, I do God's work by showing them the same love as God shows us. I've learned God is the one who changes people, and all I do is show uh, them God's love. And I also posted the Ten Commandments in my office. And they're real curious if you post something new or do change something. I posted these Ten Commandments in the office. Not only for them, but for my own sake. And they come walking in and they looked at that and said, whoa, we can't follow them. <laughs> and I said, yeah, we can. Let's do it together. And so they went ahead and uh, asked for copies. So I got them all copies of it, and they posted them. And uh, it's, a, it's amazing uh, to see how, how they all changed. And I have seen with my own eyes how God has changed people, and all we have to do is show his love. Yeah, thanks, Richard. That's awesome. Yeah. So God's put Richard in a unique position to nudge some of the people you would think that uh, would have an opportunity the least, prisoners, inmates, towards the kingdom of God. And I think we all have opportunities like that, and that's the question that we have to wrestle with, that I want to encourage you to wrestle with today. And, and I believe that God wants to do some incredible things in you and through you in 2018. And so the question is, will you let him? Will you let those things that he wants to work on in you, will you let him continue to work on those things? Will you let him start to work on those things? And will you share the testimony, the story of what God is doing in your life with those around you so that they can also be drawn towards the kingdom of God? I want to challenge us to make 2018 a year where we here at First Covenant intentionally nudge one another here in the body of Christ, but also those in our sphere of influence 
towards deeper relationship with Jesus. I want to close with these three questions to help you uh, think about where you're at in that and, and what God might be able to do through you. The first question is simply, what is God doing in you or what does God want to do in you this year? What are those places that need transformation? Maybe there's some sin that needs uh, confession or, and redemption and reconciliation, whatever that is. What are those places that, that, that God needs to work on this year? And who is one person in your sphere of influence that might need a nudge toward the kingdom of God? And then lastly, what is one thing you could do to nudge that person. Maybe it's simply asking to pray for them or uh, just saying, hey, God's been doing something in my life. Can I share that with you? Or how, what's God doing in your life? I want to hear what God's up to in your life. Whatever those things are, let's, let's intentionally reach out and nudge one another towards the kingdom by sharing the incredible testimony and story of God's redemption work in our lives.